I mean, you got to think about it, right? Some, he, didn't, he didn't pray, my God, my God, my head really hurts from the crown of thorns. That's not what he said. You know, my feet and my hands, they're in a lot of pain, Father. Not that. My friends have abandoned me. No, not that either. He said, my God, my God. And this was his agony. Why have you abandoned me? The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. Jesus, our gospel for today comes from Mark chapter 15. It's sort of the holy of holies in the gospel we look here at the death of jesus at noon darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon and at three in the afternoon jesus cried out in a loud voice aloy aloy lemma sabachthani which means my god my god why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. This is the gospel of our Lord. Please be seated. First, there was the darkness. Noon, day, darkness. Not 8.30 a.m. darkness, not 4.30 p.m. darkness. Noon, day, darkness. It was the kind of darkness where there were no shadows because all was shadow. It was the kind of darkness where the day is turned into the night, and the night is turned into the day. First, there was the darkness. We know a couple things about this particular darkness. We know that it didn't come from an eclipse. Eclipses don't happen at the full moon, which this would have been because it was the Passover, and eclipses don't last three hours long. We know this wasn't an eclipse, and we know this wasn't a sandstorm. 
We know this wasn't a sandstorm because this was the rainy season in Jerusalem. It couldn't have been a sandstorm that was driven by wind. So we know some things about this darkness. We know it wasn't a sandstorm. We know it was an eclipse. And therefore, we know that this darkness came from God. Now, we also know a couple things about God's dealings in darkness in history. If you rewind, we know that there are two times in history where God has dealt in darkness. The first was way at the beginning. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And he flipped on the lights of the universe. See, where there is light, there is life. And therefore, in a very real sense, since since God is the light of this world, since he turned on the lights of this world, he is also the life of this world. Light always leads to life. In some senses, even more than than water does. Because water comes from some of the most abundant materials, elements in the universe. But see, light. When light shines, then plants take it in. They eat it in this thing called photosynthesis, photosynthesis. And then we eat the plants. And then there's life. Light means life. And therefore, darkness means death. Of course, we know this already from the other time where God dealt in darkness in history. It was back in Egypt. In the plagues, God is decreating his world in judgment of the bloodshed of his people. And the plagues, they ramp up and they ramp up and they ramp up until they get to the ninth plague. It's darkness. And in darkness, what happens? The hum and the thriving and the dancing and the joy of life, it ceases. Darkness always ends in death. I think it's hard for us to get our our minds around what this darkness meant, what it was actually doing in that moment. Partially because we only get little little tastes of what it's like to live in darkness, right? We we go into wintertime and some of us suffer from seasonal affective disorder because there's less light. There's more darkness. You know, you get that sense when you've had a few rainy days in a row and you just want the sun to come out. Sometimes we even say this, we connect light to happiness. What do we always say? The sun will come out tomorrow. It's hard for us to get our minds around what this darkness really meant, what it was like. The novelist Isaac Asimov writes what some people think is his greatest work, a short story called Nightfall. And in that story, he imagines what it's like for for a world that has always had light to finally go dark. He says it's going to make everybody go insane. 
And he pictures us in this, in this graphic scene where there's this psychologist by the name of Shireen that's trying to convince this reporter named Theramon what it's like to live in darkness, that it actually does this kind of thing to us. And this is how it goes. Asimov writes, Imagine darkness everywhere. No light as far as you can see. The houses, the trees, the fields, the earth, the sky, black. And stars thrown in for all I know, whatever they are. Can you conceive it? Yes, I can, declared Theramon truculently. And Shireen slammed his fist down on the table in sudden passion. You lie. You can't conceive that. Your brain wasn't built for the conception any more than it was built for the conception of infinity or eternity. You can only talk about it. A fraction of the reality actually upsets you. And when the real thing comes, your brain is going to be presented with the phenomenon outside of its limits of comprehension. You will go mad. Completely and permanently, there is no question about it. True darkness rips us apart on the inside. This is why the New Testament says that eternal separation from God is outer darkness. It is utter deprivation, utter isolation. Asimov says it's the fear behind the fear of claustrophobia. Darkness can make it so that you are living in a prison cell as, far, as small as yourself. So that you can live a type of undying death. First there was the darkness. Then there was the agony. At three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, lama sabachthani, which when it's translated, translates, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The sound, it must have reverberated in the moment. Not just because it was a loud cry, but because everything else was so silent. Do you remember when we had that eclipse? When was that? A few years ago? I don't, can't remember. Do you remember what happened? Everything got quiet. It was eerily quiet. The buzzings, the birds, it was quiet. All of a sudden, Jesus breaks out in this loud voice, Aloy, Aloy, lama sabachthani. Don't be naive. Jesus wanted you to hear that prayer. It was not just a prayer between him and his father. He wanted you to hear that prayer. That's why he prayed it in a loud voice. He wanted you to hear that prayer. Why? So you could interpret the darkness. Who was receiving the judgment? Who was in utter isolation? Who was completely alone? Who was suffering the hell of that? Jesus was. And he's telling you that. Now I could point out a couple things to you about that. Like I could point out to you that Mark, what he actually wants you to do is experience that cry in real time. 
That's why he gives it to you in the original language, in Aramaic. He wants you to hear this just the way that Jesus said it. And I could point out to you that that Jesus calls on God twice, which indicates utter desperation. My God, my God. And I could point out to you that this is the first and only time we know of in the Gospels where Jesus ever calls God, God. He always calls him Father, which explains the agony. Why have you forsaken me? This is where we get into some deep waters, right? Why did Jesus pray the question? Why did he do it? Did he need his father to remind him what he was doing on the cross? Did he need his father to say, son, son, I told you this was the plan. You would take the judgment for sin. Was that it? Or was it more like, you know, what happens when volcanoes give off lava? The kind of thing that happens when a locomotive spouts off steam. You know, Jesus' soul was in danger of being ripped apart, so he just has to give voice to his utter angst and and agony. Is that it? I don't know. We know this. This was his agony. He was utterly alone. This was his hell. His father had left him. So this is my gripe about modern depictions of the crucifixion scene. Like in the Passion of the Christ, they kind of luxuriate in physical violence. Which, of course, is historically true, but it's not what the Gospels do. You look at them. They don't luxuriate in the physical violence of this. I mean, think about it. There's no tink of the nails, right? Mark doesn't tell you about that. There's no description of how the thieves on either side of Jesus are heaving sighs because they're slowly asphyxiating. There's no that. What is the agony? What does Jesus pray? I mean, you've got to think about it, right? Some, he, didn't, he didn't pray, my God, my God, my head really hurts from the crown of thorns. That's not what he said. You know, my feet and my hands, they're in a lot of pain, Father. Not that. My friends have abandoned me. No, not that either. He said, my God, my God. And this was his agony. Why have you abandoned me? Many commentators point out that the more that you love someone and the longer that you have that someone, the more pain when you lose them. 
I might lose somebody. They abandon me after I know them for a few weeks. But if my wife comes up to me and says, I don't want to have anything to do with you anymore. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Love from all time. Lost. First, there was the darkness. Second, there was the agony. Third, there is the death. Jesus expired, Mark says, with a loud cry. And then the temple curtain is torn in two from top to bottom, which both of those things I got to comment on, you can understand. Because people don't die like this. See, Jesus didn't die with a whimper. Jesus didn't die gasping for breath. He died with a loud cry. Which should tell you something. Death didn't come from, for him. Jesus gave his life away. He was still strong when he died. He died with a loud cry. And then the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. Now this is where we got to slow down for a second because I need you to realize something. There are two loud cries in the crucifixion scene from Jesus. Both of those loud cries have a message not just from Jesus. They also have a message from his father. With the first loud cry, we get the message of the darkness from God. With the second loud cry, we get the tearing of the temple curtain. That was God. Had to be God. Why did it have to be God? It had to be God because nobody else would have been in the Holy of Holies to rip the curtain. Nobody else would have been there except God. It had to be God. And also, you notice that it is torn in two. How? Not from bottom to top. From top to bottom. God himself came down from heaven, took the curtain, and like a zipper, zip, Ripped it. Had to be God. God has in fact done this once before in history. At Christ's baptism, he took the cosmic veil of this universe and he ripped it. So that heaven was open to everybody at the beginning of Christ's ministry. He rips away to God. At the end of Christ's ministry, at his death, he rips open the way to God. What is God saying to you? He is saying, rip, come into my presence. Rip, paid in full. Rip, what was barred to you before because of sin has been opened by the blood of my son. Come in. First, there was the darkness. Second, there was the agony. Third, there was the death. And now I hope you start to see what I'm doing. I'm trying to build in you a response to this. 
I had a really sad day a couple weeks ago. I'm driving down Whiskey Road. The sun's out. I'm dark. And it struck me as I stop at this stoplight how you can be feet away from somebody else who's living in a completely different world. I'm just trying not to crash. I'm so sad. And the guy in the next car is bumping to R&B. We can be so disconnected from what's happening right around us. You know, every year I come back to this crucifixion scene. I have to. I'm a pastor. Pastors need to preach the gospel of the cross. Christ crucified to their churches. I preach it every single year. I don't miss. And every single year there's something else that just grabs me. You know what grabs me this year? I'll tell you what grabs me. The people who are standing there at the cross, they don't get it. You know, what are they saying? Somebody bring the poor guy a drink. You know? Somebody runs off, they bring him a drink. Maybe he can stay alive till Elijah pulls him off the cross. They don't get it. I want us to get it, to connect to this, to understand first. There was the darkness so that we know that we can live in the light. Second, there was the agony, so we know that we can live in peace. Third, there was the agonizing death so that we realize that we can die in peace. First, there was the darkness, so we realize that we can live in the light. This darkness here, it makes us think about what we've been hiding in the darkness. The things that we don't want the government to know about. The things that we don't want our fellow church members to know about. The things that we can't have our spouses unearthing about us. I heard one pastor commenting on this. He said, when there's darkness in a marriage, there's always more darkness. That's where an affair comes from. Whenever there's an affair, there's also something else. There's texts that the spouse doesn't know about. There's a bank account the spouse doesn't know about, that kind of thing. There's always something that's in the dark. What's in the dark? What piece of your soul right now is in the dark? There's something here for all of us that's making it difficult for us to love people the way that we've been called to love people. Think of how it's been in COVID, all these camps. Where's your darkness? Bring it in the light. What's stopping you from bringing your darkness into the light of God in relationship with him? What's stopping you? Bring it into the light. 
you can bring it into the light. That's what this teaches you. I saw this, I saw this meme. It was a great meme. It explains kind of what this means. There's this little boy. He's sitting on this park bench with this older man, and he's dressed in this nice suit. The, the, this older man looks like he's this teacher of this little boy, and this little boy's got these big puppy eyes. There's these tears in his eyes, and he looks at this older man, and he says to the older man, you mean, you mean that God will not accept my best? No, son, he said. He only accepts Christ. And then it shows this picture of this, this older man just hugging up this boy, and, and he says, you're going to have to repent for trusting your good works and trust the righteousness of Christ alone for your salvation. Come into the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is your salvation, your light, your life. Jesus is come into the light. Somebody here needs to hear that today. Somebody here has got something off in the darkness. They have never brought it into the light of God. Bring it into the light. You can do it. You're not going to be exposed when you bring it into the light. That's what this teaches you. You're not going to be exposed. You're going to be forgiven. You're not going to be embarrassed or shamed. You are going to be welcomed into the presence of God. You can, can stop holding that stuff off in the darkness, denying it in the darkness. You can bring it into the light. Christ is your light your salvation first there was the darkness so you can live in the light second there was the agony so that you can live in peace you know Christ if you think about it he reveals to you what real agony is what did he say he didn't say my head really hurts no doubt it did he didn't say, all my friends have abandoned me. No doubt they did. What did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's pain. That's the ultimate pain. He experienced that agony. So you never will. God left him so that God will never leave you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. Jesus lost his status as child of God so that you will never lose your status through faith in him as child of God. God will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That matters. I goofed this up a couple weeks ago. I was going to really hammer this one home. And then I didn't. I'm going to make up for it today. There is a pandemic of anxiety in our world. What is anxiety? Anxiety is spiritual agony. That's what it is. Where does anxiety, what does anxiety say? Anxiety says, I don't know if my life is going to be okay. I think I might just fall apart. It is spiritual 
agony. What does this teach you today? Here's what it teaches you. It teaches you that your life isn't going to fall apart because Christ's life fell apart. The only thing that we ever, ever, ever have to truly be afraid of, judgment from God, we don't have to be afraid of. Why not? Because he was judged for us. And this is what I'm pushing into today. Since we don't have to be afraid of that, we can know that God will never leave us and that God will never forsake us. He forsook Jesus so that he would never forsake us. That means that all of the agony that is in our agony is gone. Do you know what's painful? This is what's painful. Thinking that your pain doesn't matter. Thinking that your life path is screwed up and can never get put back on course, that's painful. Never can we believe that again. Because God is with us. And when God is with us, all of the evil, all of the pain, we know it will matter. God will use it to get us where he wants to get us, which is life with him. See, first, there was the darkness so we know that we can live in the light. Second, there was the agony so we know that we can live securely. And when we live securely, we can live in perfect peace. Finally, there was the death, the agonizing death so that we know that we can die in perfect peace. How's that for an application? You don't hear that every Sunday morning. I wish people would. <laughs> That's an important application. Every Christian needs to know how to die right. In fact, Christians used to be a lot more concerned about that than they are now. If you look at the old prayers and you look at the old hymn, Christians wanted to know how to die right. How do you die well? You die in the peace of Jesus. I told you a couple weeks ago that Christ dies differently than Christians do. When Christ died, he died facing his death with agony because he knew that his death meant that he was going to drink the judgment of God. We die the exact opposite way. We can die in perfect peace because we know that we're receiving our salvation. The writer and author and pastor, Tim Keller, he was uh, diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And just before he goes under in surgery, he's thinking about what happens if he doesn't ever wake up. And he got this image in his mind of this um, selection in The Lord of the Rings where Sam is surrounded by darkness. And the character Sam says to himself, all of the darkness is but a shadow. It will give way to light. Tim Keller said this just before he fell asleep before surgery. He said, it's really true. 
Because of Jesus' death, evil is just a passing thing, a shadow. Death is like falling asleep. You place your body and your soul into the arms of Jesus. And then, sometime soon, you wake up with the sun. If we can die like that, then we can also live like that. God grant it to you today. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, as, as we contemplate today your death, we are in awe of what you experienced for us. The darkness, the agony, the death. We praise your holy name. And we ask that you might win us to yourself. That each of us today, in contemplating your death, might, like the centurion once did, say in their heart, Surely, you are the Son of God. Amen.